0: Hello, and welcome to the Digital Health Leaders Podcast, where we bring the best of the best in digital health leadership to you. I'm Russ Branzell, President and CEO of the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, or CHIME, and the host of this podcast. These are truly unprecedented times for our industry and our healthcare leaders. These leaders are doing everything they can to support our frontline caregivers and guide their organizations through some of the most tumultuous times in modern history. Today, we have one of those special leaders with us. Amazing leader, role model for so many in the industry across the globe. She's one of our current Chime board members. She's actually our secretary. She's also the chair of our Women at Chime committee. Uh, There's no one in the world that is happier on a daily basis, smiling through the phone, smiling through uh, Zoom and other means. She's just truly a special person. It is absolute pleasure to have Cherie McFarland the division CIO for West Florida Division, HCA Healthcare, with us today. Welcome, Cherie.
1: Thank you, Ross. It's a pleasure to join you this morning.
0: Well, let's just kick off with this because HCA is this gigantic company that people hear all about and your CEOs in Washington and and it's just we everyone in the world generally knows who HCA is. Why don't you tell us a little bit who HCA is and how things are going across this whole globe, especially with some of the hotspots you all serve.
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, I've worked for HCA Healthcare for almost 24 years, Russ, and um, we've almost 180 hospitals across so many different states and in London. Um, I've got to say, you know, as a company, You know, we developed a coordinated response early on to COVID-19, and I wanna talk a little bit about that this morning, because it really shows the power of HCA Healthcare. And we we paid our nurses pandemic pay and quarantine pay, and we're so proud, and I'm so proud of the activity and all of the initiatives that HCA has taken, not furloughing any employees, and leadership giving up to 10 to 30% of their salaries to help with this this effort. And one of the the things we have is such a great culture. And we have a HOPE Fund, which is colleagues assisting other colleagues. And over 140,000 colleagues have benefited from the many Mm -hmm. programs that the company has put in place during COVID. And many of you may have seen um, our CEO, Mm -hmm. Sam Hazen. He recently went to Washington DC and um, HCA Healthcare offered ventilators for not just um, the federal government, but also to help out with New York and New Jersey. And and that's really the culture that we have in HCA, a a culture of giving and caring for our patients and our employees. And so Sam Hazen, he started conference calls um, late February and hosted weekly conference calls with every division. As well as our division presidents, to make sure we had developed a very robust COVID 19 strategy early on.
0: Well, you're, you're definitely, you know, it's different, you know, and I have to admit fully, I, I have this perspective. It's different when you look at New York and, and New Jersey, even though I teach occasionally in New York, it's different when it's there. But for you now, it's front and center. You know, you're right in the Tampa area, there's issues there, there's spikes going on across all of Florida. Texas, Arizona, and we got HCA all over the place. Now it's real for you. What's, what's it like for you right now?
1: Well, a lot of conference calls, a lot of use of Webex. Um, we're screening, obviously, all of our patients um, for elective surgery. Um, we monitor our employees for temperature, and we're just carefully monitoring the number of positive patients and PUIs um, for every single facility. Um, you know, really for us, um, it's all about Communication and we have three really main tracks um, enabling our workforce and ramping up our remote access um, so that we're in communication. We've taken a lot of people off site, especially in IT. We've also created a knowledge center so that we can share best practices among and between our facilities. We have an in house um, app that was developed called Rhythm and we've added about 47 different tiles um, so we can monitor our um, COVID patients by facility. We can also track ventilator usage and um, move equipment as needed. And one of the things um, I would say I'm very proud of is the IT staff in West Florida developed a PPE tracking and reporting tool that has now gone enterprise wide to the whole company. And this was early in March, we developed a tool that enabled us to track by facility, by patient, and by nurse, our utilization of PPE with our supply chain and our division so that we wouldn't run out of supplies. So I think this was a best practice. And so for us, it's really being innovative and um, great communication. And we also developed a tool called Engage and um, BlueShift, which enables us to um, contact our nurses on pandemic pay so that they can take open shifts where we need them at other facilities. So I think you know, staying innovative, keeping plugged into the needs of the division, um, and being agile and flexible has really, really helped um, us support our division through all of this um, from an IT perspective.
0: So Sheri McFarland gets to put app developer now on her resume. That's pretty
1: cool. Oh, I'm going to give that credit to my app dev team. I just get to talk about it.
0: <laughs> well, well, on that note, let's talk about you a little bit because, you know, everybody's unique. We know that, but you're very unique. You have an amazing story of how you got, I mean, even got to the United States. How you got into the track, and now even being a, you know a world-renowned CIO, tell us a little bit about your journey from just leave and, and kind of the environment you were in, even in Ireland.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I grew up and I think they, they refer to it as a child of the Troubles in the 1970s in in Belfast in Northern Ireland. And um, when I was 11 years old, I was the second child's name picked out of a hat to come and stand the summer in Buffalo, New York, as part of a peace program to integrate Protestant and Catholic children together with host families. And so I loved it so much that I came back and went to junior high school for two years from 76 to 78. So I know some of you are doing the math. You're calculating my age, right? But um, (laughs) um, this was um, a day that changed my life really forever. Um, because it exposed me to um, diversity, to a different culture, a melting pot. And I, I just absolutely fell in love with the USA. So I did go back to Ireland to finish my high school and university. And I was very, very lucky and privileged and honored to win scholarships for my bachelor's and my master of science in organization development and industrial psychology at the Queen's University of Belfast. And after I graduated, I emigrated again, the second time, back at the end um, of 1987, beginning of 1988 to the USA, and really started in a consulting company that specialized in healthcare, and really didn't have a background in healthcare, and I certainly didn't have a background in IT, but the consulting company sent me to Lenox Hill Hospital in New York City, and the Upper East Side, and I started working on administrative projects And one of those projects, for us was the five-year strategic plan for IT. And I worked with one of the top consulting companies in the world. And when the current um, vice president of IT resigned, they asked me if I would help run the department. And not having a technology background, I said, certainly, I'll give it a shot. I know the strategic plan. I know all of the employees. I'm learning the technology side of the business. Why not? Let's, Let's... Let's take a risk. Let's see how this goes. And I became the full-fledged director six months later. And that's why I really got my break into healthcare IT per se and started working with the, we had a big resident population and high staff and started working with the chief resident on implementing CPOE back in the 90s. Um, Then I got another break. Um, In 1996, the CFO moved from Lenox Hill to what was then Columbia HCA. Um, Rick Scott was the current CEO back then and um, he asked me to come down and interview for um, HCA. And I went from New York City to Newport Ritchie and became the IT director over two facilities in West Florida. And a few years later when the, um, actually seven years later, I worked in the trenches, learned every part of IT, all the technology side and the clinical side. And then seven years later, When the division director retired, I actually put my hand up and said, "You know what? I would really love to go for this job." Over 15 of HCA facilities as the first division director, that turned into the current CIO role that I have been in since 2005, early 2006. So I think you know my career has been absolutely amazing in terms of opportunities, um, the right place at the right time, and I think you know, just not being afraid of taking risks and actively seeking out opportunities to grow professionally. When I look back, I think, oh, my gosh, did I really do that at that time? And, and, um, you know, back then, you you just think that you're invincible, you're young, you can do anything. And so it's not scary to jump into, you know, taking over a big role like that. And I'm so glad I did, because I've learned so much and I've learned so much from so many great mentors along my career that encouraged me to do that.
0: Well you know it, it, you saw it you say fortunate right place right time a lot of it has to do with the fact that people gave you opportunities people saw something in you maybe even stuff you didn't see and you, you're kind of in a role reversal now in the sense that you know, you, you serve in a very large, prominent organization. You're you're in a senior leadership board position on, uh, admittedly, and self-serving, one of, the, one of the most important organizations in the world. But as the chair of our Women of Chime Committee, it really is about helping create those opportunities. Tell us a little bit about Women of Chime.
1: This is such a passion, you know, for me, Russ. as one of the, the first division CIOs at HTA, I'm a mentor in the Emerging Leaders Program. And so... As a member of time, it will be 25 years next year. I am so committed to promoting the women of CHIME and bringing together our committees to really help women grow in their careers. And it's so important that we support one another, we share best practices, we've become mentors and role models in our industry, and bring the next generation of leaders up with us. And so I think offering assistance to each other, and really talking about challenges and helping each other with, op- with different op- opportunities, such as bringing keynote speakers, you know, to time We've had over the last few years, we've had Emily Chine, Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. And I, I think it's so important for us as women of Chime to really support one another and encourage one another and, you know, really help help each other out because traditionally women did not go into this this type of role many years ago. When I joined CHIME, I could have looked around the room and there were only a handful of women at the fall forum and this is changing. And I'm so happy to see this is changing and we're still about 26, 27% of the CHIME members. And so we still have a long way to go. It's evolving. It's changing for the better. And I think one of the things we're seeing, Russ, is that women are coming in from such different backgrounds, diverse backgrounds, bringing a wide skill set with them, whether it's technology skill sets, clinical skill sets, organizational and leadership skill sets. And I think in the past, women just didn't feel they were qualified on the technical continuum to, to, to take these roles. And I think that is really changing, you know, for the better.
0: So, what are some of the ways that we, as an industry, Women of Chime, Chime and Joe, ways we can we can help um, our our female leaders, you know, and, and I'll use the Chime Vision to become more exceptional leaders, transforming healthcare. What can we do to help?
1: I think including them on various committees, um, bringing keynote speakers that are inspiring, and and really offering. Um, Opportunities at the Fall and Spring Forum for networking and learning from one another and becoming mentors. And those those are just a few of the ideas. And I'm very excited. We're, we're putting together a strong committee this year of, of women of Chime that will really reach out to our membership and ask them what's important to you. You know, what would you like to gain from being in the Women of Chime committee? And what kind of things can we offer at different forums that will be really meaningful and helpful to you in your careers? And looking at our content of boot camp and making sure that we have included tracks that are relevant, especially to our female population.
0: Yeah. And and you might want to mention I, I think uh, you've also been named the chair of our women of Chime scholarship program. you want to mention that as well?
1: Yes, absolutely you know as we talk about you know diversity and the women of chime it's really important that we look at um scholarships specifically for women in their careers. And, you know, this can start at all different levels. You know, I work with, with kids in, in STEM careers, and I think it's, it's really important that we focus um, for our women of chiming, giving them opportunities that they previously wouldn't have had um, availability or an opportunity to take advantage of. So I, I think carrying this scholarship committee this year is so exciting because we're going to have scholarships available that um in the past I don't think um women would have had the opportunity to to have. So I think this is a, a big exciting year for for the women of CHIME.
0: Yeah, and you'll be pairing up with on the, the other side of this equation with with our minority committee, which is chaired by Cletus Earl, CIO at Penn State Hershey, who will be running the committee also for the minority scholarships that will be given out. That's just it's amazing work. So thank you for your service there.
1: Oh, it's all right. It's a pleasure. Today's episode of the Digital Health Leaders Podcast was brought to you by our segment supporter, LK, your healthcare data plumbers. Learn more about LK at E-L-L-K-A-Y.com.
0: So you're really in tune with kind of the industry as a whole. I mean, HCA sees everything, or most everything at least. What do you think some of the biggest challenges are that our HIT leaders, and, and I specifically at the moment didn't use the term CIO because there's so many titles and so many levels of HIT leadership now. It's grown so big. What do you think the biggest challenges are?
1: Oh, my goodness. There there are a lot of challenges for um, HIT leaders today. And, and, you know, I think, you know, one of our challenges is just continuing good governance. I mean, um, technology is rapidly evolving and, you know, everyone fancies themselves as a technologist. And so whether it's a physician bringing in a new product or Um, whether it's the business wanting to us to really focus on innovation. I think one of our challenges as CIOs is is to really understand what's important to the business and to really bring good governance with our portfolio and innovation. That would be one of the things that comes top of mind, especially during COVID. We had to be so agile and develop applications in a matter of days typically would have taken months in the past. So I think speed to market in governance is is going to be critical. Secondly, I would say the threat and opportunity of data becoming available to others like third parties and consumers, this is a great opportunity and it opens a lot of doors, but it also makes a consistent experience um, quite a challenge. And and we can fragment a patient experience very easily and so it's so important that we focus on making sure that we have standardization in that regard and i would say thirdly um you know every hit leader is going to be faced with with declining budgets and cost containment i work for the largest for profit we have a company we have a program called simplify it Mm -hmm. where every year the cio at each division of HCA is required under our performance excellence goals to really, you know, look for cost containment and cost savings ideas. And um, as a company, we typically have about $30 to $40 million in Simplify IT savings every year. And I think the challenge is going to be for CIOs, especially with dwindling um, budgets, to really focus on how you can have a return on investment. And it's not about cost cutting, it's more about how to derive the best value from the technology, not only that we've already implemented, but that we're going to continue to enhance. So those are three that come to mind. And of course, I mean, cybersecurity is always going to be a huge challenge facing all of us CIOs in the industry.
0: That's great. So given all of that, you know, you're on the elevator, you go down and and some senior leader is sitting there and, and looks at you and says, what are what are some of the top initiatives that you we're going to be working on in the next 12 to 18 months. What what would your answer be?
1: I think, um, you know, for us, my elevator speech would be really improving the digital patient experience. We just announced a couple of weeks ago that we have a vice president who was previously in a different role leading this for us so that we don't fragment the patient experience and that we make it the, the best experience a patient can have through the continuum of care in HCA healthcare. And secondly, there's a huge focus for HCA on automation, taking um, laborious manual processes and continuing to automate. There's so much room and so many areas in our company that we can still, believe it or not, focus on automation. And then thirdly, um, as a company, we're going through a reassessment and pretty much realigning traditional functional areas. That, you know, in a company so large, you know, you have to be careful. We don't have silos so that we're focused on um, improving the patient experience um, as, a, as an experience as, as opposed to a functional area. So I think those are the three things as a company we're focused on is automation, the digital patient experience, and then a reassessment from traditional functional areas.
0: So if you ask the average person out there not in HCA, what is HCA known for? I think a lot would say, oh, they're the ones that are constantly acquiring and divesting and mergers and acquisitions and maybe it's a little less true than it was in the past. It still is a, a bit of the DNA and experience of HCA over the years. Kind of tell us what you know, what your feelings are, not feelings as much as your experience has been with the merger and acquisition side of this and Sometimes, how difficult that can be.
1: Sure, it's it's always exciting and it's always a challenge. Um, over the span of my career with HCA, I've been involved in in um, numerous acquisitions um, of a Cerner facility, of former IASIS facilities, and of course, bringing them into the HCA fold is always exciting and at the same time a challenge. And I've also done divestitures, and we've had to close, unfortunately, hospitals over the years as well. Um, and I've worked on a lot of green fields and building of hospitals. So we're always looking as a company for opportunities, but it has to be the right fit in the right market. Um, but we're really good at it. We've we've had a lot of time to do this. And some you know, thoughts that come to mind is, you know, we have a specific acquisition team that we work with at corporate. We have a large, as you know, GPO and supply chain. We have dedicated resources. Um for integration. And then we rely on the existing CIO and our teams at the division level to onboard and support um, acquisition strategies. So um, just like we had a COVID-19 strategy, we have a really robust acquisition strategy. And um, we're always looking for for the right opportunity in the right market. So that's something, as you said, Russ, HCA is known for. Um, And I think we do a, a really great job Um, with bringing um, facilities into the HCA family.
0: So given, and you mentioned it earlier, these financial pressures, the stuff that's going on in the industry, you know, the impact negatively on a lot of bottom lines for during this COVID uh, pandemic and what we thought was easing off now getting worse again, you know, do you think mergers and acquisitions are going to increase? And, you know, what do you think that impact might be on healthcare at a macro level?
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to, to see. I mean, you read every every day in Becker's about hospitals closing or are really, really struggling, you know, especially through COVID. Um, and it's just exacerbated existing, you know, operating margins. And so I think we're going to be in for a very interesting um, couple of years in the acquisition and mergers um, platform. And I, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not able to discuss any specifics um, with, with respect to HTA, but, I mean, physician practices, I mean, a lot of physicians just want to join a larger organization and take the day-to-day running of the business, um, you know, out of the mix. So I, I think, you know, from a macro level, we're going to see a lot of activity in the next 18 months. That would be my prediction.
0: So you mentioned the word governance earlier, and, and we teach that at our boot camps. We teach that at some of our leadership academies. And, and it is really one of the things to differentiate high-performing IT or healthcare organizations and the IT impact of that. How do you manage governance with in a world of constant shifting sand and mm-hmm. like mergers and acquisitions? How can you stay focused when there's always that next thing and next merger acquisition you've got to focus on
1: all, well, being you know being flexible and agile i mean obviously like my colleagues we have a strategic plan but it's, it's very fluid and um, we align very closely to the business um we're at the table with the senior leaders with upcoming plans we work really closely with our all of our vice presidents over different service lines and, and with our corporate teams, um, with clinical services operations group. And so I think, you know, having good, good structures in place, great communication in place, and just being willing to be, to be really flexible and agile, you know, with our strategic initiatives, you can start the year with a plan and six months later, that plan can look entirely differently than where you started. And so I think that's the key, is being flexible as a senior IT leader to align and help drive, you know, the, the business strategy um, of each of our HCA divisions.
0: So, so on that note, you know, you mentioned the term earlier, digital patient experience, and even the name of this program, digital health leaders, which we would consider you one of the best ones in the industry. How do you, and in particular HCA, how do you define digital health? And how is that different than what we've been traditionally practicing in healthcare?
1: You know, that's, that's such an interesting question, you know, Russ, because, you know, I typically don't use the word digital health per se, but we do have, um, obviously, a new um, vice president over that area of improving the digital patient experience. And so I think we typically didn't use it in the past because... Our company as such just relies so much upon technology that it's just in our DNA. It's just the way we deliver the highest quality of clinical care. And so, you know, the ecosystem that, you know, we we talk about it it really heavily relies on interoperability, high availability, um, notification personalization. And that's really our, our goal is to deliver that as seamlessly as possible and as efficiently. And I think that's what we do as a company in HCA. And so I think it's got a new title. But it's what we've always historically been known to to deliver.
0: Well, I've got a couple more questions. The last one you probably don't even see coming. So well maybe you do. You know me well enough. But what we'll, we'll <laughs> first. You know, everybody has one or two great ideas. You know, you you might have been your app, but I don't let you I'm not gonna let you use that one. What's a great idea? What's something that if if we could just implement Sheree McFarland's vision of X across healthcare, across the globe, it would fix so many things. What is that one thing? What's that one great idea?
1: For me personally, is let's don't let's not fragment our patient experience. Um I think as a health information technology leader, you know, we're still fragmented and, you know, we've got to standardize and, you know, that unique patient identifier, we need to know our patients and we need to have a connected experience for them and really continue to provide first-class, world-class healthcare to our patients that's not fragmented.
0: So so our last question is really about you. I, I, I pride myself, not pride. I enjoy Uh, being a bit of a world traveler, uh, there is nobody that I know that that is a bigger world traveler than you. And I'm sure this period of time during this pandemic has just put a squash on your normal, incredible opportunity to travel around the world. So it all ends tomorrow. Pandemic's over. Cherie gets on a plane. Where is she going to go and why would you go there?
1: Well, I think one of the trips that um, I'm looking at hopefully for next year is Botswana. I had the pleasure of going to Namibia last year, and I absolutely love Africa. I love being on safari. I love animals, and my biggest passion is photography. And so, there's no more beautiful place than being out in the African prairies with wildlife. So, I hope to get back to Africa next year, the Botswana.
0: Well, I think that brings our time together as a, as to an end, unfortunately, but I will tell you. uh, you are an amazing human being. You are an incredible friend to myself. I know to my wife and so many others just consider you friend first and foremost, but as a professional colleague and a superstar in industry, we thank you for all of that. And especially thank you for your, your service and leadership for the women of Chime. It is such a pleasure to have you on the program today.
1: Russ, thank you so much. Thank you for your friendship, your fellowship, and let's continue to do great things with Chime.
0: Awesome. Well, we'd also like to thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Digital Health Leaders podcast. You can visit us on Spotify or chimecentral.org slash media for this and any of our other podcasts. Stay well, take care, stay home and wear that mask if you can, but most importantly, God bless.
1: Today's segment of the Digital Health Leaders podcast was brought to you by our supporter, LK.